Chapter Twenty One of Unknown to History by Charlotte Mary Young. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tanika, Madison, Alabama. A Tangle. It was a rainy November afternoon. Dinner was over. The great wood fire had been made up, and Mistress Talbot was presiding over the women folk of her household and their tasks with needle and distaff. She had laid hands on her unwilling son Edward to show his father how well he could read the pièce de résistance of the family, Fabian's chronicle, and the boy, with an elbow firmly planted on either side of the great folio, was floundering through the miseries of King Stephen's time, while Mr. Talbot, after smoothing the head of his largest hound for some minutes, had leaned back in his chair and dropped asleep. Cicely's hand tardily drew out her thread, her spindle scarcely balanced itself on the floor, and her maiden meditation was in an inactive sort of way, occupied with the sense of dullness after the summer excitements, and wonder whether her greatness were all a dream, and anything would happen to recall her once more to be a princess. The kitten at her feet took the spindle for a lazily moving creature, and thought herself fascinating it, so she stared hard, with only an occasional whisk of the other end of her striped tail and Mistress Susan was only kept awake by her anxiety to adapt Dickens' last year's jerkin to Ned's use. Suddenly the dogs outside bayed, the dogs inside pricked their ears, and Ned joyfully halted. His father uttered the unconscious falsehood. "'I'm not asleep, lad. Go on.' Then woke up as the horse's feet were heard. Ned dashed out into the porch, and was in time to hold the horse of one of the two gentlemen, who, with cloaks over their heads, had ridden up to the door. He helped them off with their cloaks in the porch, exchanging greetings with William Cavendish and Anthony Babington. "'Will Mrs. Talbot pardon our riding-boots?' said the former. "'We have only come down from the manor-house, and we rode mostly on the grass.' Their excuses were accepted, though Susan had rather Master William had brought any other companion. However, on such an afternoon almost any variety was welcome, especially to the younger folk, and room was made for them in the circle, and, according to the hospitality of the time, a cup of canary fetched for each to warm him after the ride, while another was brought to the master of the house to pledge them in, a relic of the barbarous ages when such a security was needed that the beverage was not poisoned. Will Cavendish then explained that a post had come that morning to his stepfather from Wingfield, having been joined on the way by Babington people always preferred travelling in companies for security's sake, and that, as there was a packet from Sir Ralph Sadler for Master Richard, he had brought it down, accompanied by his friend, who was anxious to pay his devoirs to the ladies, and though Richard spoke to the mother, he smiled and nodded comprehension at the daughter, who blushed furiously, and set her spindle to twirl and leap so violently as to make the kitten believe the creature had taken fright and was going to escape. On she dashed with a sudden spring, involving herself and it in the flax. The old watchdog roused himself with a growl to keep order. Cicely flung herself on the cat. Antony hurried to the rescue to help her distangle it, and received a fierce scratch for his pains, which made him start back, while Mrs. Talbot put in her word. "'Ah, Master Babington, it is ill meddling with a cat in the toils, especially for men-folk. Here, sis.' Hold her fast, and I will soon have her free. Still, Tib. 
Cicely's cheeks were of a still deeper colour as she held fast the mischievous favourite, while the good mother untwisted the flax from its little claws and supple limbs, while it winked, twisted its head about sentimentally, purred, and altogether wore an air of injured innocence and forgiveness. "'I am afraid, sir, you receive nothing but damage at our house,' said Mrs. Talbot, politely. "'Hast drawn blood? Oh, fie, thou ill-mannered Tib! Will you have a tuft from a beaver to stop the blood?' "'Thanks, madam, no. It is a small scratch. I would. I would that I could face truer perils for this lady's sake.' "'That I hope you will not, sir,' said Richard, in a serious tone, which conveyed a meaning to the ears of the initiated, though Will Cavendish only laughed and said, "'Our kinsman takes it gravely. It was in the days of our grandfathers that ladies could throw a glove among the lions, and bid a knight fetch it out for her love.' "'It is not needed a lion to defeat Mr. Babington,' observed Ned, looking up from his book with a sober twinkle in his eye, which set them all laughing though his father declared that he ought to have his ears barked for a malapert varlet. Will Cavendish declared that the least the fair damsel could do for her knight-errant was to bind up his wounds, but Cis was too shy to show any disposition to do so, and it was Mrs. Talbot who salved the scratch for him. She had a feeling for the motherless youth, upon whom she foreboded that a fatal game might be played. When quiet was restored, Mr. Talbot craved license from his guests, and opened the packet, there was a letter for Mistress Cicely, in Queen Mary's well-known beautiful hand, which Antony followed with eager eyes, and a low gasp of, "'Ah, oh, favoured maiden!' making the good mother, who overheard it, say to herself, "'Methinks his love is chiefly for the maid as something appertaining to the Queen, though he wots not, how nearly. His heart is most for the Queen herself, poor lad.' The maiden did not show any great haste to open the letter, being aware that the true gist of it could only be discovered in private, and her father was studying his own likewise in silence. It was from Sir Ralph Sadler to request that Mistress Cicely might be permitted to become a regular member of the household. There was now a vacancy, since, though Mrs. Curl was nearly as much about the Queen as ever, it was as the secretary's wife, not as one of the maiden attendants, and Sir Ralph wrote that he wished the more to profit by the opportunity, as he might soon be dispatched by some one not of a temper greatly to consider the prisoner's wishes. Moreover, he said, the poor lady was ill at ease, and much dejected at the tenor of her late letters from Scotland, and that she had said repeatedly that nothing would do her good but the presence of a pretty playfellow. Sir Ralph added assurances that he would watch over the maiden like his own daughter, and would take the utmost care of the faith and good order of all within his household. Curl also wrote by order of his mistress a formal application for the young lady, to which Mary had added in her own hand, I thank the good Master Richard and Mrs. Susan beforehand, for I know they will not deny me. Refusal was, of course, impossible to a mother who had every right to claim her own child, and there was nothing to be done but to fix the time for setting off. And Cicely, who had by this time read her own letter, or at least all that was on the surface, looked up tremulous, with a strange frightened gladness, and said, "'Mother, she needs me.' "'I shall shortly be returning home,' said Antony, "'and shall much rejoice if I may be one of the party who will escort this fair maiden.' "'I shall take my daughter myself on a pillion, sir,' said Richard shortly. "'Then, sir, I may tell my lord that you purpose to grant this request,' said Will Cavendish, 
who had expected at least some time to be asked for deliberation, and knew his mother would expect her permission to be requested. "'I may not choose but do so,' replied Richard, and then, thinking he might have said too much, he added, "'It was sheer cruelty to deny any solace to the poor lady.' "'Sick and in prison and balked by her only son,' added Susan. "'One's heart cannot but ache for her.' "'Let not Mr. Secretary Walsingham hear you say so, good madam,' said Cavendish, smiling. "'In London they think of her solely as a kind of malicious fury shut up in a cage, and there were those who looked askance at me when I declared that she was a gentlewoman of great sweetness and kindness of demeanour. I believe myself they will not rest till they have her blood.' Cis and Susan cried out with horror, and Babington, with stammering wrath, demanded whether she was to be assassinated in the Spanish fashion, or on what a pretext a charge could be brought against her. "'Well,' Cavendish answered, "'as the saying is, give her rope enough and she will hang herself. Indeed, there's no doubt but that she tampered enough with Throckmorton's plot to have been convicted of misprison of treason, and so she would have been.' but that her most sacred majesty, Queen Elizabeth, would have no charge made against her. "'Treason from one sovereign to another! That is new law!' said Babington. "'So to speak,' said Richard. "'But if she claimed to be heiress to the crown, she must also be a subject. Heaven forfend that she should come to the throne!' To which all except Cis and Babington uttered a hearty amen, while a picture arose before the girl of herself standing beside her royal mother robed in velvet and ermine on the throne, and of the faces of Lady Shrewsbury and her daughter as they recognised her, and were pardoned. Cavendish presently took his leave, and carried the unwilling Babington off with him, rightly divining that the family would wish to make their arrangements alone. To Richard's relief, Babington had brought him no private message, and to Cicely's disappointment, there was no addition in sympathetic ink to her letter, though she scorched the paper brown in trying to bring one out. The Scottish queen was much too wary to waste and risk her secret expedients without necessity. To Richard and Susan this was the real resignation of their foster child into the hands of her own parent. It was true that she would still bear their name, and pass for their daughter, but that would only be so long as it might suit her mother's convenience— and instead of seeing her every day and enjoying her full confidence, so far as they knew, she would be out of reach and given up to influences, both moral and religious, which they deeply distrusted, also to a fate looming in the future with all the dark uncertainty that brooded over all connected with Tudor or Stuart royalty. How much good Susan wept and prayed that night, only her pillow knew, not even her husband, and there was no particular comfort— when my lady countess descended on her in the first interval of fine weather, full of wrath at not having been consulted, and discharging it in all sorts of predictions as to Cis's future. No honest and loyal husband would have her, after being turned loose in such company. She would be corrupted in morals and manners, and a disgrace to the Talbots. She would be perverted in faith, become a papist, and die in a nunnery beyond sea. Or she would be led into plots, and have her head cut off, or pressed to death by the pen fought et dure. Susan had nothing to say to all this, but that her husband thought it right, and then had a little vigorous advice on her own score against tamely submitting to any man, a weakness which certainly could not be laid to the charge of the termagant of Hardwick. Cicely herself was glad to go. She loved her mother with a romantic, enthusiastic affection, missed her engaging caresses, 
and felt her Bridgefield home eminently dull, flat, and even severe, especially since she had lost the excitement of Humphrey's presence, and likewise her companion Dickon. So she made her preparations with a joyful alacrity, which secretly pained her good foster parents, and made Susan almost ready to reproach her with ingratitude. They lectured her, after the fashion of the time, on the need of never forgetting her duty to her guard in her affection to her mother, Susan trusting that she would never let herself be led away to the Romish faith, and Richard warning her strongly against untruth and falsehood, though she must be exposed to cruel perplexities as to the right. "'But if thou be true to man, thou wilt be true to God,' he said. "'If thou be false to man, thou wilt soon be false to thy God likewise.' "'We will pray for thee, child,' said Susan. "'Do thou pray earnestly for thyself, that thou mayest ever see the right.' "'My queen-mother is a right pious woman. "'She is ever praying and reading holy books,' said Cis. "'Mother Susan, I marvel you, who know her, can speak thus.' "'Nay, child, I would not lessen thy love and duty to her, poor soul. "'But it is not even piety in a mother that can keep a maiden from temptation. "'I blame not her in warning thee. "'Richard himself escorted the damsel to her new home. "'There was no preventing their being joined by Babington, "'who, being well acquainted with the road, "'and being also known as a gentleman of good estate, "'was able to do much to make their journey easy to them, "'and secure good accommodation for them at the end.' though Mr. Talbot entirely baffled his attempts to make them his guests, and insisted on bearing a full share of the reckoning. Neither did Cicely fulfil her mother's commission to show herself inclined to accept his attentions. If she had been under contrary orders, there would have been some excitement in going as far as she durst, but the only effect on her was embarrassment, and she treated Antony with the same shy stiffness she had shown to Humphrey during the earlier part of his residence at home. Besides, she clung more and more to her adopted father, who, now that they were away from home and he was about to part with her, treated her with a tender chivalrous deference, most winning in itself, and making her feel herself no longer a child. Arriving at last at Wingfield, Sir Ralph Sadler had hardly greeted them before a messenger was sent to summon the young lady to the presence of the Queen of Scots. Her welcome amounted to ecstasy, the queen rose from her cushioned invalid chair as the bright young face appeared at the door held out her arms gathered her into them and covering her with kisses called her by all sorts of tender names in french and scottish oh ma mie my lassie ma phil mine own wee thing how sweet to have one bairn who is mine mine own whom they have not robbed me of for thy brother, ah, thy brother, he hath forsaken me. He is made of the false darnley stuff, and compacted by Knox and Buchanan and the rest, and he will not stand a blast of Queen Elizabeth's wrath for the poor mother that bore him. Ay, he hath betrayed me and deluded me, my child. He hath sold me once more to the English loons. I am set faster in prison than ever. The iron entereth into my soul. Thou art but daughter to a captive queen, who looks to thee to be her one bairn, one comfort and solace. Cicely responded by caresses, and indeed felt herself more than ever before the actual daughter, as she heard with indignation of James's desertion of his mother's cause. But Mary, whatever she said herself, would not brook to hear her speak severely of him. "'The poor laddie,' she said, "'he was no better than a prisoner among those dour Scot lords.' 
and she described in graphic terms some of her own experiences of royalty in Scotland. The other ladies all welcomed the newcomer as the best medicine both to the spirit and body of their queen. She was regularly enrolled among the queen's maidens, and shared their meals. Mary dined and supped alone, sixteen dishes being served to her, both on fish and flesh days, and the reversion of these, as well as a provision of their own, came to the higher table of her attendants, where Cicely ranked with the two Maries, Jean Kennedy, and Sir Andrew Melville. There was a second table at which ate the two secretaries, Mrs. Curl and Elizabeth Curl, Gilbert's sister, a most faithful attendant on the Queen. As before, she shared the Queen's chamber, and there it was that Mary asked her, "'Well, Mignon, and how fares it with thine ardent suitor?' "'Tis say that he rode with thee?' "'As far as the manor gates, madam.' "'And what said he? Was he very pressing?' "'Nay, madam, I was ever with my father, Mr. Talbot.' "'And he keeps the poor youth at arm's length. "'Thine other swain, the sailor, his son, "'is gone off once more to rob the Spaniards, is he not? "'So there is the more open field.' "'Aye, but not till he had taught Antony a lesson.' The Queen made Cis tell the story of the encounter, at which she was much amused. "'Sir, my princess, even a nun can make hearts beat and sword ring for her. "'Well done! Thou'rt worthy to be one of the maids in Percy first, or Amadis de Gaulle, who are bred in obscurity, and set all the night as sparring together. Tories are gone out since my poor good father perished by mischance at one, where we would set thee aloft to be contended for.' "'Oh, Madame Mare, it made me greatly afraid, and poor Humphrey had to go off without leave-taking. My Lady Countess was so wrathful.' "'Sir, my Lady Countess is playing our game, is she? Backing Babington and banishing Talbot. Ha! Ha! Ha!' And Mary again laughed with a merriment that rejoiced the faithful ears of Jean Kennedy under her bedclothes, but somewhat vexed Cicely. "'Indeed, Madame Mother,' she said, if I must wed under my degree, I'd rather to a Humphrey than Antony Babington. I tell thee, simple child, thou shalt wed neither. A woman does not wed every man to whom she gives a smile and a nod. So long as thou bearest the name of this Talbot, he is a good watchdog to hinder Babington from winning thee. But if my lady countess choose to send the swain here, favoured by her to pay his court to thee, why, then, she gives us the best chance we have had for many a long day of holding intercourse with our friends without, and a hope of thee will bind him the more closely. He is all yours, heart and soul, already, madam. I know a child, but men are men, and no chains are so strong as can be forged by a lady's lip and eye, if she do it cunningly. So said my belle mare in France, and well do I believe it. Why? If one of the sour-visaged reformers who haunt this place chanced to have a daughter with sweetness enough to temper the acidity, the youth might be throwing up his cap the next hour for Queen Bess and the Reformation, unless we can tie him down with a silken cable while he is in the mind. Yea, madam, you who are beautiful and winsome, you can do such things. I am homely and awkward. Marcia, my my child! The beauty of the best of us is in the man's eyes who look at us. Tis true thou hast more of the border lassie than the princess. The likeness of some ewe-milking, cheese-making, sonsy Hepburn hath descended to thee, and hath been fostered by country breeding. 
but thou hast by nature the turn of the neck and the tread that belong to our lorraine blood the blood of charlemagne and now that i have thee altogether see if i train thee not so as to bring out the princess that is in thee and so good night my bairnie my sweet child i shall sleep to-night now that i have thy warm fresh young cheek beside mine thou art life to me my little one End of chapter twenty one recording by Tanika, Madison, Alabama.